Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bully. Be close to you. Never let me go. I lay it all down again to hear you say that I'm your friend. You are my desire.
Our Gospel reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, the 10th chapter. Jesus is speaking. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today I'm going to be talking about sacrifice. There may be something that you need to sacrifice, something that has become more important to you than God's commands. Consider that while I go through this. Well, Abraham was 99 years old and his wife Sarah was 89 years old. They had no children except a child Ishmael, which Abraham had had with Sarah's servant Hagar. But the Lord came to Abraham and told him that he would have a son with Sarah and that Abraham was to call him Isaac, which means he laughs. Soon afterwards, the Lord and two angels came to visit Abraham on their way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham provided food and drink and was very hospitable. And the Lord once more promised to return in about a year and Sarah would have a son. Sarah, who was listening at the entrance to the tent, overheard and she laughed to herself. After all, she was 89 years old and Abraham was 99 years old. The Lord overheard the laugh and pointed out, is anything too hard for the Lord? And then the Lord and his two companions left to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, a year later, Sarah gave birth to a son, and they named him Isaac, which means he laughs, because God had brought Sarah laughter, and Abraham loved Isaac dearly. A few years later, Probably 10 or 12 years later, the Lord spoke to Abraham. He had a test for him. He said, Abraham. And Abraham replied, here I am. And then came the test in the form of an awful command. Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. You can imagine the sleepless night that Abraham had. He had waited a hundred years for a son, and now God was commanding Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, to kill and burn Isaac. Genesis makes it clear that a son was the most important thing in Abraham's life. Isaac was the single most important thing that Abraham had ever wished for. For years, Abraham had wanted a son and had despaired of ever having a son. He'd he'd even decided that his servant was going to have to inherit all his cattle and sheep, his tents, his slaves, his entire caravan that moved from place to place with him. But then 
years before, God had told him that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars that he could count at night. And since this was a desert land, before any sort of electricity, the nights were very clear and dark. The Milky Way was visible almost every night in all its splendor with tens of thousands of stars. And Abraham had believed God when God gave him that promise. Abraham held that promise tightly in his heart as he grew older and older and lonelier and lonelier. And then the Lord got very specific about a son being born. And then Isaac was born and grew up a joyful child filled with laughter. And then the same God who had given Abraham his boy Isaac was now telling him that Isaac must be taken to a place and killed. What would Abraham do? What about you? What would you do if you had wanted someone or something for years and for decades, a child, a spouse, a home, a new car, a new truck? You had wanted that someone or something so much you dreamed about that someone or something. You could close your eyes and see that someone or something, you could almost taste it. Most of us have dreams like this. I know a guy who dreamed about one day having a Lamborghini car, bright yellow, able to travel at 200 miles per hour, but he never had the money for that, so he just had a red Mustang. I knew a man who wanted a piece of land all of his own. He had rented for years, and he just wanted a couple of acres of his own. I knew a woman who wanted desperately to have children, but she couldn't have children. We often have dreams for this person, for that person, or that something, and it's just out of reach. And then the dream happens. The man got the Lamborghini, the other man bought the land, and the woman, after years of trying with doctors and spending lots of money, adopted children. And then, you know, God steps in. You may remember there's an episode of the Waltons. John Walton had lived on Walton's Mountain for years and years. It was the Great Depression. He had taken out a 30-year mortgage, and he'd almost paid it off. In fact, he was down to the last payment. He had wanted to be out of debt terribly badly. He could taste that debt going away. He wanted so badly to be debt free. So they had a mortgage burning party, scheduled it for the night after he paid off the loan. And he paid off the loan and they burnt the mortgage and just a couple minutes later, it turned out that a friend, a friend showed up and he told him that he was going to lose his home unless someone with excellent credit like John Walton co-signed the friend's mortgage. So John co-signed, and he was in debt once again. You see, like with Abraham, God steps into our dreams from time to time to test us, to see what our real priorities are to see whether we want someone or something more than we want to follow God's commands on our life. Will we give up the Lamborghini to help repair the church roof? 
Will we sell the land to become a pastor moving from parsonage to parsonage every few years? Will we give up the, on children of our own flesh and blood to help other children have a decent life? Will we go back into debt for a friend? Will we sacrifice our own son because God says to? Well, after wrestling with this all night, early the next morning, Abraham loaded up his donkey with wood and food and probably a rope. He brought two servants and Isaac along. And after walking for three days, he saw the mountain in the distance, left the servants and the donkey behind. Isaac carried the wood and Abraham carried his knife and fire and probably a rope. After a while, Isaac realized that something was missing. Father, where's the lamb? Abraham answered, God will provide the lamb. When they got there, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood. And then he grabbed Isaac and bound him and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham was going ahead with the sacrifice. You can just imagine the terror of the boy. Abraham took the knife and he raised the knife. He was lifting the knife high and Isaac was screaming. And then the angel of the Lord called out, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham stopped. The angel of the Lord, the phrasing means the specific angel who was God on the earth, the pre-incarnate Christ. The angel of the Lord said, don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there was a ram caught by its horns in several small trees. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of Isaac, his son. And so he called the place the Lord will provide. You know, the longer I lead churches, the more I've come to understand, as Martin Luther pointed out, that there are two distinct meanings of the word sin. And we often get them confused. First, there is the state of sin. This is when we're still in rebellion to God, before we've chosen to follow Jesus. This is the condition of all those people who don't believe that Jesus is Son of God, God himself who walked among us on the earth as the Christ, Jesus, holy man and holy God. These people look upon Jesus maybe as a good teacher, a very moral man, or perhaps as the founder of a religion, which to them is a set of moral and ethical principles with perhaps a crazy set of beliefs about how the universe and the earth and the people began. These people who reject the entire truth about who Jesus is and was, they're in a state of sin, separated from God and a good relationship with God. And then there are those people who are trying to follow Jesus and his commands to love God and our neighbor. These people are no longer in a state of sin. But these people, you and I, we still commit sins. We have sin action in our lives. For we yell at our children. We ignore certain types of people because we don't like them. 
We lose our temper. We eat too much. We crawl back into bed when we should be working, and we ignore some of Jesus' commands because they simply seem too hard to follow, or so we think. We're trying to follow Jesus, but we have not yet reached Christian perfection where we always follow Jesus. We're still subject to committing sin actions. Yet because we've chosen to try to follow Jesus, we're not going to be sent to hell for our actions, as long as we're trying to follow Jesus. We have given our loyalty to the king. It's like the difference between a rebel to the king. This is the state of sin, the state of being in rebellion, and a person who has sworn a loyalty oath to the king and the king's family. Even if a rebel has sworn to be loyal to the king, he will undergo a period of time when he's still a lawbreaker, either out of ignorance, how was I to know that it's against the law to talk on a cell phone while driving, or he'll break the law out of a lack of understanding. I just don't understand why it's against the law for my kids to sit in the back of my pickup when I'm driving. After all, I rode back there many times when I was a kid. You may relate to that. The king might have a death penalty for a rebel, any rebel, even if his worst crime is intentionally making jokes about the king. But once we take the oath of allegiance and mean it, we're no longer rebels. For there is a difference between being a rebel and breaking laws occasionally. If there were no difference, how many of us would be in big trouble because we've occasionally driven over the speed limit? And so we're not in danger of hellfire. For the occasional cuss word, we're not in danger of being sent to live with devils for eternity. For the occasional loss of temper, we're not going to be barred from heaven because we've sometimes been a jerk. For when we do these things, we're still loyal subjects of our king, but we're not model citizens either, and our king is disappointed with us. But the king has declared that we should not talk on our cell phones while driving. And he has declared that we can no longer put our kids in the back of the pickup truck. And he has declared that we're to be kind to our enemies and to jerks as well as our nice friends. And so if we're truly going to follow the king, Jesus Christ, then we're duty-bound to find out what Jesus' commands are. And we need to choose to obey all of those commands. The Apostle Paul points out that we stopped being slaves to sin when we chose to follow Jesus. Sin no longer has the ability to force us to do immoral and unethical deeds. We no longer have to do those self-destructive things we call addictions. But instead, we have become slaves to righteousness. And so we should choose to do anything righteousness requires of us. The Holy Spirit within us reminds us what the right course of action is. You know when you're doing things wrong. It's our flesh, our formerly sinful flesh, that creates the fear or the desire that leads us to do the wrong things because those are the two things that lead us to do wrong. We're scared of something or we want something. And if we continue to follow the course of righteousness, if we do what the Holy Spirit tells us to do, 
we will become holy. And the result is eternal life. As Paul says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Abraham did a very difficult thing when he loaded up his donkey and he took Isaac up to the mountains to be sacrificed. For Isaac was the earthly person that he most loved. We also will be called to make sacrifices to follow Jesus, especially of those things that we most love, our time, our treasures, our loves, our goods, and we will be called to do things we terribly hate doing. For some, it's giving money. For others, it's sitting in a class to learn about Jesus. For still others, it's making a choice between a loved one and a dedication to Christ. For some, it's talking to a person we despise or picking up the telephone and calling someone who needs to hear from us. All of these things we are asked to sacrifice and do what Christ asks. You know, it's a sacrifice when we feel forced, but it's a choice when we know what is the right choice. When we know what's most right and most important, God asks us to choose between doing God's will and our will, God's wisdom and our wisdom, which is more likely to be right. For many today have made a choice to love the things of the world more than God. For many today, difficult sacrifices, sacrifices are choices that we're holding above God's will. They, we may say, I cannot worship Christ because to follow Christ means I would have to give up and then you can fill in the blank. Sleeping in, a fatter wallet, a bit of pride, a hesitation to speak to another person, a bit of time. Will you avoid eternal life because of your blank? Or will you trust that Jesus wants the best for you and that what Jesus has in store for you is far better than your blank, your choice, your true object of worship? I was the man who had to give up the home I'd wanted for years and lived in for 10 years to follow God's call and wander from parsonage to parsonage. That was the view from our kitchen window. But following Jesus means doing those things that are very difficult because God wants us to know that he's more important than any cash, any home, than any Lamborghini, than any person on this planet. He wants us to make our choice. Yet God does not treat us like some evil, selfish God taking from us so he'll have and we won't have. For when I went into the ministry, within a year or two, my debts were paid off because I no longer had to support my home. I've seen the joy on people's faces when they found Jesus. And I've lived in comfortable homes ever since I went into the ministry. God has provided and God will always provide. When Sandra and I have given cash to someone, we've received back the same amount of cash or more. God has provided. God will always provide. 
when Abraham chose to make the hard choice and sacrifice Isaac, the angel of the Lord called down, stopped Abraham's death stroke, and provided a ram for the sacrifice. God always provides the sacrifice and rewards those who follow him and his son. He provided his own son as his ultimate sacrifice. And the truth is, do you trust God enough to accept his commands are best for you? Or do you trust your own wisdom over God's wisdom? For those people who have decided to follow Jesus, there is always an Isaac, a treasure, a dream, a time or something else that God will test us with. For he wants us to know, us to know, that he's more important than our person or treasure or stuff or time or pleasure. He wants us to know what's most important in our lives. For God will always have a ram waiting, or the lamb, who is Jesus Christ. And if something keeps us from following Jesus' commands, that something becomes our sin, our personal principal sin. It's time to rid ourselves of our principal sin and follow Jesus. After all, God provided his own son as the lamb. Always keep that in mind if you doubt God's sincerity in commanding you to do something. This summer, perhaps today, you'll be asked to make a sacrifice for God. Even now, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about what or who you worship more than God, more than Christ, and is asking you to sacrifice that object of worship and truly follow Jesus. I don't know what you're holding above God, above Christ. It may be your time. It may be treasure. It may be family. It may be stuff. It may be pleasure. Or it may be your pride. But if you will give what the Holy Spirit is asking you to give, you will not miss it, for God will provide a replacement. God will provide the sacrifice. God will provide the ram or the lamb, because God always provides. It was said in ancient Israel, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Go to the mountain of the Lord and see what he has waiting for you. Today, he provides food and drink from his own sacrifice. As we distribute the elements, come forward to the altar rail. Let it be the mountain of the Lord today. Ask God what he wants you to sacrifice. And then consider making that sacrifice.
Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Bowley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Thank you, and God bless you in your life.